Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you now and always through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So, have you ever been in conversation with someone and someone else was listening in on the conversation and you knew they were listening in but it was okay because you wanted them to overhear what it was you were saying. Or have you ever overheard a conversation and you had the feeling that the person speaking wanted you to overhear it because whatever was being said was really being directed at you. Have you ever felt that way? That is what we call indirect communication. Now, direct communication is when you speak directly to someone else. Indirect communication is when you want someone to overhear you or you don't mind if that someone overhears you. Something like that is happening in the gospel reading for today. Our gospel reading takes place during Holy Week. Jesus has entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He's already done that. He's already expelled the money changers from the temple. And Jesus is now teaching the people, the laity, in the temple. The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, they're listening in, and Jesus knows it, and he doesn't mind one bit. Here's why. For quite some time, those religious leaders have been wanting to kill Jesus, but the time had not been right from God's perspective. Now, in our gospel lesson for today, the time is right. And by allowing the religious leaders to overhear what he's saying to the people, it's almost as if Jesus is throwing accelerant onto the fire. Jesus is provoking his own death by what he says. He's provoking it because he knows his time has come. Page eight in your worship bulletin, verse nine of your reading. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and he let it out, or he rented it out, to tenants and went into another country for a long while. Now, Roman number one on page nine. The Lord's vineyard is the Lord's people. The Lord's people. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, even the New Testament, you know that God's people are often referred to as his vineyard. That's explicitly stated in Isaiah 5, in Psalm 80, in Jeremiah 12, and so on. And in John chapter 15, Jesus refers to himself as the true vine, and we are the branches. The Lord's vineyard is the Lord's people. Letter A. The tenants, the renters, are the religious leaders. 
The religious leaders are the pastors. They've been serving themselves rather than the people of God. And Jesus is speaking indirectly to them through this parable. And of course, the owner of the vineyard would be God. Letter B. This parable summarizes the history of Israel. It summarizes Israel's history. When God would send prophets to his people, the religious leaders and the kings would persecute the prophets, abuse them, even kill them. Roman numeral two. The Son of God comes to collect the vineyard's fruit. He comes to collect the fruit. In your lesson, verse 13, Notice the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? In verse 9, he was called a man who planted a vineyard. This is the first time he's called owner. And I think it's because the real issue here is the issue of ownership. Who owns the vineyard? Verse 13, I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir, let's kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Now, if you're like me, you might wonder, this owner, after sending three servants who were beaten and treated shamefully, why would he risk his son's life? The answer is, we're not told. But the owner, that being God, is obviously extremely patient, and he desires to see the fruit of repentance in these tenants. So by sending his son, we know that the owner is giving the tenants even more time to repent. Letter A. This is the end now. This quote is the end of Luke 19, right before our lesson for today. And he, Jesus, was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priest and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were hanging on his words. The vineyard is producing fruit. There's a harvest coming in. The vineyard is fruitful. Jesus is teaching. The people are receiving what he has to give. That's by the way, that's the highest worship we can offer God. It's not something we do for him, but it's receiving what he has to give to us. Now these verses from the end of Luke 19 show that the religious leaders were seeking to destroy Jesus even before he spoke the parable. But speaking the parable just hastened his death. Why? Because the leaders go out immediately and plot, how can we get rid of this guy now? Jesus came into the world to die, and he knew his time had come. So in speaking the parable, he's enacting the parable in a sense. He's living it out. He's making it happen. The parable has become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Letter B, the tenants have assumed the role of owners. They are, well, they think they are owners. So ownership is being contested. And I've read that under Middle Eastern law, if you are an absentee landlord 
And if for three years you fail to collect rent from your renters, the tenants could possibly file a claim against your property, kind of like squatters' rights. And that's especially true if there's no heir. And that might be what's in play here in the parable. The tenants have forgotten who the owner is. Letter C. Does that sound familiar? There is a real temptation for pastors and even for lay leaders to act as owners of the congregation. For example, people will ask me, well, Pastor Armstrong, how many members are in your church? So what's the biblical answer to that question? <laughs> it's not my church, <laughs> okay. It's not my church at all. It's the Lord's church. At most, I'm merely an under-shepherd. The church was here before I came. The church will be here after I'm gone. And by the way, the same is true for you. <laughs> I've, I've laid many members and friends of this congregation to rest over the years. So whether we are clergy or lay leaders, there's a tendency for all of us to view the various ministries, the various offices around here as ours, as belonging to us, as if we have some sort of squatter's rights because we've been here so long. But everything here belongs to the Lord. Nothing here belongs to us. We are tenants, not owners. And by the way, the same is true for your employment, it's true for your family, whatever else you have. It's, it's on loan. And it'll be called back soon enough. Like the tenants in our parables, we at times act like owners. But here's the good news. Have you noticed that when we are at our worst, God is at his best. When we rebel, he forgives. Verse 15 Verse 15b, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come to destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now you may think, well, that doesn't sound much like forgiveness. <laughs> but in a way it is. You see, even in Israel's rejection of Jesus, Jesus is still at work to save Israel and all of us. Verse 17, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Roman numeral three, the stone's rejection is actually the stone's exaltation. Christ's rejection is his being lifted up on the cross for you, for me, for all Israel. Jesus is the rejected stone, rejected to die on the cross, but our rejection of him actually ends up being his acceptance of us. For the death he died was for our sins, that we might be acceptable to God. God raised Jesus from death, and God made the rejected stone the cornerstone of the new Israel of God, the new expanded vineyard, the new expanded people of God. Just as a cornerstone joins two walls of a building together, 
Christ joins Jew and Gentile together into this new Israel we call the church, the new people of God, the expanded vineyard. And the point is this, even when we do our worst, God is still at work saving us from ourselves. Letter A, his rejection only expands his vineyard. Our rejection of him led to the expansion of his saving work to all people. Now it's true, not all people will benefit from Christ's saving work because not everyone will believe in him. But the truth remains. His work is for all people. His vineyard is for all people, not just Israel. It's not limited anymore to one ethnic group. And God does this through his own rejection. Letter B. This means God knows how to make our own failures fruitful. He makes our own failures fruitful. My friends, because of Christ's death and resurrection, our failures are never fatal and they're never final. In God's hands, our failures become the ways in which God actually reveals his love for us through the forgiveness of our sins again and again and again. Israel's rejection of God did not mean the end of Israel. Despite Israel's rejection of God, God made Israel more fruitful than ever before by the person and work of Israel's Savior and ours, Jesus Christ. My friends, even when we stray, God continues to seek us. Even when we rebel, God is still at work to save us. Even when we fail, God alone knows how to make our failures fruitful. By his love, they are never final. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, amen.